0: Yo, what's up everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin. It is Tuesday. No, Monday. It's Monday night, July 20th. We are about four or five days away from baseball. Thursday night. Oh, God, I can't even breathe. Well, I can't even breathe because I'm so excited. And I have poor cardiovascular situation going on in my body right now, right? But uh, holy shit, man. We're almost there. Dude. I'm so excited. Uh, opening night, uh, 7 o'clock game is the Yankees. And the uh, Nationals defending champion Washington Nationals I still can't believe that the Nationals won a World Series the year Bryce Harper left like talk about your ultimate backfire he has to feel a certain way about that like you just can't leave the place where you built your career in literally the year you left they won a fucking World Series I'd be so pissed like it would eat me alive but then the $300 million contract I got would really just wipe that all away, man. You know, people, like, like what do you do here in that situation? Like, us at home, you know, we're like, oh, like he just plays for the money. Guys don't care about winning anymore. Like, they play for the money. If Bryce Harper wanted to win, he would have stayed in Washington. You lying sack of shit. Put yourself in that situation right now. Like, listen, I have two arms and two hands, but for $300 million, I'd cut my left arm off, man. I don't care. Like, just the money talks, right? Like, like, yeah, okay, like winning's great, dude. Like, yeah, I'd like to win a World Series. A World Series ring would be good. But for $300 million contract, or what did he sign for? 13 years, $330 million, right? Like, for example, I always wanted a DeLorean Maybe like a blowtorch and a bazooka, right? Like a flamethrower, like on point break. Bro, for $330 million, I could buy a DeLorean a day. I could literally buy every DeLorean in existence right now and have a flamethrower in each of my 10 houses, man, and just go outside and shoot it. But the problem is if, if I ever got a contract that big, I'd be the most worthless piece of shit baseball player in the world because I would just give up on everything. I would have way too many hobbies. Like, I would be, like, hunting wild game in, like, Nebraska and definitely just driving down the road in my DeLorean shooting my flamethrower out the window. (laughs) And uh, I would definitely have a bazooka, man, hands down. Like, you know, when you're a kid, man, like, a bazooka is, like, the all-time weapon, dude. Like, if you're playing Ninja Turtles and the Shredders coming up, You know, all of a sudden, Michelangelo's best friends with a G.I. Joe who's got a bazooka, right? Like, that's the deal, man. That's what you want to do. So I don't fault, really, um, you know, Bryce Harper for leaving. And it's like, what, like he gets eaten alive by Twitter for $330 million? Like, whatever, dude. Like, I got the money, man. And I'm excited about the season, though. And I still think the Phillies could be good this year, man. They got some pitching to line up. Like, Aaron Ola's a stud. He had a little offseason last year. But there are guys there to like, man. They got a guy, Vince Velasquez, who has the potential to have a really good season this year. He's always shown flashes of good swing and miss stuff, but guy still carries a high earned run average, right? Doesn't work well. Especially, it didn't work well for him a couple days ago. So listen, like last night or two nights ago, right? The Phillies are playing the Yankees in a summer camp game. I love that they call it summer camp, not spring training, which is great. And So the Phillies are playing the Yankees, and Vince Velasquez is pitching. It's like the fifth inning, right? It's so cold-blooded. And Vince Velasquez gets DJ LeMahieu, who had a phenomenal 2019 campaign. I think damn near won a batting title, I'm not sure, which was very interesting too because I think everyone thought DJ LeMahieu just wouldn't be anything in New York because he would lose the curse effect. But what's interesting is DJ LeMahieu went to Yankee Stadium and had one of the best seasons of his career, right? I'm not sold on Coors Field making offensive players. And thank God Larry Walker got in the Hall of Fame. But, like, Ellis Burks had some, had a few good seasons, I think, in Colorado. Ellis Burks was a damn good hitter, right? And I don't think he had good seasons in Colorado because of the Colorado air. Maybe he was drinking a lot of Coors Light while he was there. I'm not 100% sure, right? Booze and beer and cigarettes, that's the original performance enhancer, right? Big Dips, a beach nut, the original performance enhancer, man. They need PEDs. But, so, either way, Vince Velasquez, I swear to God I'll get to the story at some point. Sure. Vince Velasquez, he gets the third out of the inning. DJ LeMayhew out, grounds out. Vince Velasquez, he's walking to the dugout. Joe Girardi, new manager of the Phillies, all-time baseball guy Joe Girardi, looks at Vince and he goes, Hey, man, get back on the mound. You got a pitch count to hit. And Vince is like, okay, whatever. Looks... Aaron Judge is up to bat, and it's like, damn, dude. Like, you face this Yankees team. I damn near think all of the Yankees are healthy right now, which sort of, like, sucks if you're not a Yankees fan. <laughs> like, Giancarlo Stanton, I'm pretty sure, is healthy. Aaron Judge is seemingly healthy. Glaber Torres is running good. Miguel Anderhar's back. It's just like, what it is now is, like, right, you have to be born and bred to hate the Yankees if you're not from New York, right? Even King Griffey Jr., In the junior documentary is like, yo, my dad hated, he taught me, raised me to hate the Yankees, bro. Like, it's in my blood. And as it should be, any team that wins 27 championships in any sport can go straight to hell. (laughs) Uh, So, like, that's it. But they all seem healthy right now. But with this team, it's like... I don't know about you, but like I don't really hate the Yankees. I feel like I think Aaron Judge is a great guy. I think Giancarlo Stanton's a great guy. They just got great guys on the team, man. And I, they're a, they're a fun team to watch. And what's different about them is they're they're young, and this isn't the Yankees of like the late nineties, two thousands, and really the Yankees they've ever been. It's just going out and signing big free agents. But you know what's crazy is. The Yankees right now are building a lot of great players from the ground up. And they're also signing free agents that are sort of under the radar like Cameron Mabin. And then they got Gio Urshela, right? These guys that are sort of just like washed up on the shore and they're available and they put on pinstripes and they play phenomenal. And that's sort of like what it is to play for the Yankees. Like I, I feel like the Yankees more than any other team. And I would say the Cardinals second place in that mix. But guys put on the Yankee pinstripes, and I hate to say it, man, but it's a big pride thing, and they just play really good. And that's sort of like what this Yankees team is. You know, they're building guys from the ground up, right? Like Miguel Andahar, Clint Frazier. A lot of these guys are from trades. Like Clint Frazier came from an Indians trade. Gleyber Torres from a Cubs trade, right? But either way, they're acquiring young guys and bringing up young guys that are doing good, right? There's a certain skill with that, so for example, the Cubs they can trade and build up whatever young talent they want, but they suck at it. Some teams suck at it. Some teams are really good at it, right? The Yankees are good at it. So with them being all healthy this year, and with them really not just going out and just signing guys to win, that, that you sort of like them, you know. But if, but what sucks is they still have the money to pay Garrett Cole like a million bazillion dollars. So it's like, oh shit, he has to pitch right, which. I'm so excited, so for opening night, which is this Thursday, the 24th, it's the Nationals and the Yankees, and it's Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer, and we need this more than anything as baseball fans, you know what I mean? I can only watch so much Ancient Aliens and Office reruns, which I love, but I'm excited to watch some new baseball. It's going to be really fun, but so what happens in this Phillies game is, so he pitches to Aaron Judge. Vince Velasquez has already got three outs in the inning, but his coach is making him pitch to Aaron Judge and not letting him leave the mound, which is so sucky. And Aaron Judge blasts a home run. And not only did he blast a home run, he blasted an opposite field home run, which is what makes Aaron Judge just so damn good, right? Think of really good hitters. Like When I think of really good hitters, two guys that come to mind are Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs, right? Guys that... Didn't have to rely on their power to get on base, and guys that could get on base hitting opposite field. Like, obviously, we all know Tony Gwynn is one of the greatest hitters ever, maybe the greatest guy, maybe the greatest hitter since Ted Williams. As far as like, the goal of playing major league baseball is to hit the ball and get on base. I don't know if anybody since Ted Williams was better at that than Tony Gwynn. But one guy that flies under the radars, wait Boggs, and that might be because he can drink a hundred beers on any cross-country flight and that's great it's a hell of a story man (laughs) like dude that's that's the story like obviously you've probably heard it and it goes around everywhere but he's verified the story that he drank like 98 beers on a cross-country flight like wow dude like I must have a liver of steel like what wounds are you bearing with 98 beers man um, well, it wasn't his hitting woes because he was a great opposite field hitter and he was a really damn good hitter, man. And then also I think of like Don Mattingly, like if you look at the back of a Don Mattingly baseball card before he had, you know, injury problems, which I think were his back. I mean, Don Mattingly was a guy that was batting like 350 with 30 home runs and 110 RBIs. Just phenomenal, phenomenal hitter, man. And when I look at Aaron Judge, I feel like he has hints of that, right? Like granted... He's 6'8 and, like, 282 pounds. He's literally bigger than Lou Ferrigno when he played the Hulk on TV. It was bonkers. And so he's just got this easy, beautiful swing. Like, he doesn't go up there. He's not like, right, if you watch a guy like Sammy Sosa or Juan Gonzalez, or just, like, there are some power hitters when they swing, you know they're swinging, so like Javi Baez, right, when Javi Baez swings a baseball bat, he looks like he's gonna pull every muscle in his body, like he's gonna give himself a hernia, like he must hold his breath, and I wouldn't be surprised if Javi Baez shit his pants on a swing, he swings so hard, but like Aaron Judge doesn't, right, and what's so pretty about Aaron Judge's swing is he can hit opposite field, bro, just as smooth Is country crock butter because don't give me that smart balance olive oil shit, right? I like the fat. And that's that's what it's like, man. And that's what he did with this hit, man. It was just this beautiful opposite field thing, man. And I'm really, right, going into the 2020 season, there are a few players I think I'm excited to see. You know, one of them is Shohei Otani. And I think the other one might be Aaron Judge because I think the last time we saw this guy play a full season and not get injured would have been... What, in 2017? That was his rookie season. He finished second in MVP voting to Jose Altuve, who uh, people are mad about that because they were banging trash cans in Houston, if you haven't heard about it. And uh, so in 2018, I think he got hit in the hand, right? And then 2019, oh my God, in 2019, he dove for a ball and I broke a rib and and apparently punctured a lung and had a collapsed lung, but didn't tell anybody until the following spring. I'm like, what the hell, man? Like that's a, Aaron, you're a baseball guy, Aaron Judge. If you can literally die for a ball so hard you break a rib and collapse a lung, dude, that's Eric Davis status right there, man. Like, you know what was it in the 1990 World Series where Eric Davis dove for a ball and. I don't know what game was. Maybe it was game four. I think it was game four, actually, because the 1990 World Series, what was that, the Reds and the Athletics, and the Reds swept them, dude. Phenomenal, phenomenal Reds team, dude. And I still think Eric Davis could have been one of the greatest baseball players ever, but injuries do it, man. You know what I mean? You could easily say that about so many guys, and part of being a great athlete is being able to stay healthy, but Eric Davis dives for this ball, dives so hard. He rips his kidney. Like, in three or four spots, man. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, these guys, such phenomenal athletes to be able to run with such force and dive for a ball and just rip your body into pieces, man. It's like when Bo Jackson hurt his hip, right? And um, he uh, it was a Raiders-Bengals wildcard game. And what year was that when Bo Jackson got hurt? 90 or 91, I think. And... Dr. James Andrews did the surgery on it, and the way they explained the injury was that Bo Jackson ran so hard with such force when the Cincinnati Bengal came up and tackled him from behind and stopped him in his tracks. The force just basically just messed up his hip, dude, and like pinched a blood vessel and just messed everything up, right? And Dr. James Andrews said, listen, if that had been like a normal dude running and got tackled like that, he would have got up and walked away and been fine. But because he moved with such force, that's what did it, man. And that's what you get with guys like Eric Davis or maybe Aaron Judge, right? Because Aaron Judge is a hell of a defender too. And I look at Judge and I'm looking at the 60-game season and I'm like, man, you know, if you're really going to look at guys and, you know, make your pick on who might be the MVP or one of the most meaningful players on their team this season, I think Aaron Judge has to be one of them. man. if he can stay healthy, this is a guy that I think could bust out, you know, maybe hit 20 home runs in 60 games and bat, you know. Ha- you know, 350 or something like that, and it'd just be crazy, and I think it might be a light ha- lot harder to vote for MB- MVP this year, because a 60-game schedule, a lot of guys could probably do really good and get on hot streaks, but definitely super excited for the opening day, I um like the opening matchup, like no doubt about it for sure, with Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole, completely lights out, old school style matchup. But this matchup, though, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, right? It's one of the best you could get for opening night because these are two pitchers that sort of still have that old-school feel to them, right? These are guys capable of throwing 200 innings a season. They're capable of throwing seven, eight, nine innings if they have to. Neither of them really are likely to throw a complete game because they're strikeout pitchers, so they'll rack up a super high pitch count. I feel like even the last couple seasons, Max Scherzer's been like, you know, can't really ever complete a game because his pitch count gets so high. Here, let's look real quick. Complete. In 2019, he threw zero complete games. In 2018, he threw two complete games, right? In 2018, Max Scherzer threw 220 innings. Last year, he only threw 172 because he got injured, right? And had some of those injuries right here. To look at Garrett Cole stats in 2019, dude, I mean, this is old school to a T, man. 212 innings. 326 strikeouts, dude. You know, there aren't a lot of guys that have had back-to-back 300 strikeout seasons, and unfortunately, Garrett Cole is not going to be able to do it because 60 games this season, but, you know, he, in, in 2018, he had 276 strikeouts, and his strikeouts per nine last uh, last season were like 13.8 guys per nine innings are just something bonkers like that, and I think Scherzer was probably like 10 or 11 or something like that, but all I want to do is dig in to some of these guys' stats and just see how old school they are and compare them to an old school pitcher you may have heard of by the name of uh, Lynn Nolan Ryan, right? Everyone loves Nolan Ryan as a pitcher, right? And I I do as well, right? Who doesn't? Praise be to Nolan Ryan. I got a big poster right above my computer where I'm recording this podcast to where if I don't know what to say, I look up at Nolan Ryan's face, 44-year-old Nolan Ryan for the Texas Rangers, just ready to put... Robin Ventura, poor Robin in a headlock and just beat his ass, right? Beautiful, beautiful, man. When I get down about my life and I'm just like, I don't know where life's taking me. What am I going to do? I watch Nolan beat up Robin and it makes me feel warm inside, my friends. Praise be. So check this out, man. So first, let's dig into uh, some stats right here, man. One, I'm going to tell you this right now. Did you know? From a batting average against standpoint, the hardest pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball to get a hit off of was Nolan Ryan. His batting average against for his career, which spanned from 1966 to 1993, was a 204 batting average against. The reason why his ERA stayed high and those sorts of things, because he walked so many guys too, right? Nolan Ryan... Was the Brett Favre of Major League Baseball. Struck out the most guys, and I'm pretty sure he probably walked the most guys too, right? If you're not first, you're last. Chew big red, idiot. I, I love it, dude, <laughs> right? And so Nolan Ryan's first, right? 204 batting average. Second place on that list, Sandy Koufax, 205 batting average against Sandy Koufax. Lights out. Third, Clayton Kershaw with a 208, man. Sid Fernandez and played from 83 to 97 fourth hardest pitcher to hit from a batting average standpoint. Fifth, your boy, James Rodney Richard. My man, 212 batting average against. You know, Pedro Martinez had 214 batting average against, right? These are elite dudes. Guys like Randy Johnson, 221 batting average against. A lot of the guys that I just named are really good at striking dudes out and they're really hard to get a hit off of, right? And all the guys I named can really go deep into games, right? The five guys I named, besides Clayton Kershaw, are sort of old school pitchers, but hell, even Clayton Kershaw, I, I sort—I feel bad for Clayton Kershaw, man. He sort of looked like his, like the Peyton Manning of, you know, MLB, but like he hasn't won his title yet, right? But his stats are just like what we've seen They're just like completely elite. From all around the board, he's got a 300 strikeout season under his belt from 2015. He's already at 169 wins. I don't think he could win 300, but hell, he might. I don't really know, man. But an elite arm right there. So when you look at Clayton Kershaw and how hard he is to get a hit against, he's up there with J.R. Richard, Sandy Koufax, Nolan Ryan. This is elite stuff, man. So remember the numbers I gave you. Nolan Ryan, Sandy Koufax, 204-205 average against... Good strikeout pitchers, right? Let's go to Max Scherzer. Last season, well, last season Scherzer was a little easier to get a hit off of, 221 average against, but the year before, 187, the year before, 176. If you want to watch an old school pitchers duel a la John Smoltz-Jack Morris, Thursday night's game with Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer is it because when max Scherzer's in his prime really really hard to hit right garrett cole last season his batting average against hitters against garrett cole last year batted 185 he had an 83% he left 83% of runners on base dude does just not even fair. Less than a runner per inning got on base against Garrett Cole. If you can do that, you're an elite shutdown pitcher. And I like the matchup because you got two guys that are hard to get a hit off of. They're elite shut them down, and they could go all damn night, dude. If we if if Thursday, if the, if the baseball gods on Thursday give us seven or eight or nine innings of no run or one run ball, I'm in it, man. 110%. Super excited for this matchup because you might be looking at the two best pitchers in baseball and Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer. Now, we can talk Justin Verlander some, but if I need my pitcher to strike a lot of guys out, get the win, and potentially eat the face of the opposing manager, <laughs> Max Scherzer is my guy, dude. And then Garrett Cole, I mean, it's so weird that Garrett Cole's a Yankee because he shaved his beard. And he looks like a rental car salesman for Enterprise, man. Like, what a freak, dude. But hey, for $426 million, bro, like, I would shave my eyebrows forever, and also cut my arm off, which we've already established that I would do some pretty dumb shit for $400 million, right? I might gouge my own eyeballs out. I don't know what makes me say the things that I say. I apologize. If you're listening to this podcast with your kid and I just said I'd gouge my eyeballs out for $400 million, that might be a little traumatizing for that. I do apologize. But watch the game, man. Thursday's game, dude, huge, man. Um, I think the Yankees... Oh, my God, I never even thought who I think would win. I think Garrett Cole's the best pitcher in baseball, so I think the Yankees are going to win, no doubt about it. I think the Yankees firepower. It's going to be interesting, right, because Scherzer, you know, he was hurt some last year, man, and wasn't his vintage Scherzer self, even though, like, he was still, like, an elite, phenomenal pitcher. But, like, can Max hold up, right? How old's Max Scherzer now, like, 35? How old is this guy right now? Max Scherzer is... Oh, shit. Max Scherzer turns 36 on July 27th. Oh, crazy guy's got a birthday coming up, man. I love Max Scherzer, dude. If What's so crazy about Max Scherzer is, like, I think it was last year, like, during, like, MLB All-Star game, right? Major League Baseball does, like, the red carpet thing. And Max Scherzer's on the red carpet. And he's, like, with his wife. And he's just sort of like a nerd. Like he looks like a dad. Like he's not dressed nice. He's got sort of like an ill-fitting suit on. He's just like this dorky guy who's like, "Yep, just, just sort of happy to be here, guy." But then you see him on the mound, and it's like he goes from Mister Rogers to like Jeffrey Dahmer. Man, he's like on the mound. He's cussing at himself. Like I don't know how many voices he hears in his head, judging by his conversation, there are at least three, and, like, I'm terrified, and I'm on TV. Like, I think he's gonna come out of the TV and eat my face, sort of like Poltergeist, right? So when I watch Scherzer pitch, I get really far away from the TV, and I also am not gonna let my daughter watch because he's wild. No, I'm totally kidding, dude. I don't have that good of morals. Um, But I love Scherzer because he's like the true Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyman. it thing is sh- with Scherzer, man, and what's so fun about watching him pitch is, Like, if you watch the last dance over quarantine with, you know, Michael Jordan, right? And you see this Michael Jordan athlete, and he's just got this will to win where, like when you look at the flu game, and his body lets him down, but he wills himself to perform and win the game, right? And that's sort of what I look at with Max Scherzer when it comes to, like, last postseason and he was injured. You know, Max Scherzer's that guy where he's just going to will—he's got the will to win— that I think is larger than most professional athletes. And so that's why I'm excited to see this matchup because you have a healthy Yankees team that I think the best pitchers on the planet don't want a part of, right? So Garrett Cole's going to have a pretty good season because he doesn't have to face these guys, right? And plus, I'm pretty sure he wanted to get the hell out of Houston, right? Last year after the World Series, he was just like, he did not wear an Astros hat. He was like on his way out, screw this place. He probably didn't like the way they ran it, man. I think all those yahoos, in Houston all a bunch of dickheads anyway right from upper management to all the baseball players like i like i don't i don't know how i feel about the astros right like i like teams and players that are like sort of raw and sort of push that envelope a little bit right which is sort of the reason why like dude i'm like what if the astros win a world series this year after all of the crap that the public has put them through with cheating and beating trash cans and you have one side of baseball fans who are like, listen, everybody probably cheats, right? And of course, every Astros fan is like, yeah, everybody cheats. Look at the Red Sox and the Yankees or whatever. And then the rest of baseball, they're very much condemning the Houston Astros. I mean, you've got like quiet, you know, players that don't ruffle feathers like Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout who are like, I think Mike Trout said he had no respect for the Houston Astros, I'm like, Mike Trout doesn't say anything bad about anybody. He might literally be the Mr. Rogers of baseball. And if he says he doesn't respect you, like, bro, like, the the inner circle of players, they have, they have to really think that the Houston Astros just did something wrong. And I sort of, part of me does like teams that sort of push that envelope to an extent who are like the bad guys. And I think that comes from, watching wrestling as a kid and really loving Razor Ramon um and so like part of me like wants to root for the Astros to win because here's any time so I baseball is just about the only sport I watch hardcore right so any other sport I watch where, like, if, I, if I'm if i watching, like, the Super Bowl or playoff football or basketball, like, I'll always root for the underdog. I always want to root for the team that's not going to win because it's just fun to me, and I always do. I think that's part of the reason why I've been a Cubs fan my whole life because they sucked so bad. One, it gave you a reason to get blackout drunk on a Tuesday. <laughs> uh, don't judge me, you jerks. And the other reason was they just sucked. So it's like, bro, when they win, it feels so good. Like in 2003, when they made it to the NLCS and pushed it to game seven, even during and after the Bartman game, I'm just like, bro, this is fun because they're not supposed to be here. And they are, right? Give me another beer or five, you know, give me some Malort and let's just drink this gasoline, bro. I got so much alcohol in me. If you hold up a match, I'm going to fly like a jet, brother. Let's do it. And uh, that's, that's what I like, man. So when I think about the Astros, it's weird because they're a really good team. So I don't think in any way, shape, or form they're the underdog. But it, right now, nobody outside of a Houston zip code really wants the Houston Astros to win. And I'm sort of just like, y'all be really fun if they won. Um, I mean, obviously, I want the Cubs to win again. But that's not going to happen because if you've seen their lineup— <laughs> But listen, and part of the reason really why I think I like the Astros a little more is because during quarantine, I watched a lot of old baseball, and I watched the 86 NLCS, and I really love the 1986 Astros, and I've got this big Astros logo that's like this light-up sign in my office now with the old Astros logo, and I've got it hanging up, and I dig it, and so I'm like, man, I could, you know. The Astros are sort of the underdog this year, and I kind of like the old school logo. I'll take them. You know what I mean? Like, I love the old Astros uniforms. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, This is funny, man. Quarantine will mess with you, dude. Um, And quarantine's turned me into, like, a bandwagon Astros fan. It's not really, man. I really just love baseball stories. The only team I'm really a fan of is the Cubs. But whether they win or lose, like, I really don't care, man. You guys have heard me talk about this before. Being a Cubs fan has nothing to do with winning. It's all about getting bail money (laughs) after the game because of the public intoxication ticket and public urination ticket that you are likely to get, my friend. But I'll always chase the underdogs, like, no matter what. So, like, when I'm watching the Thursday night home opener, I mean, I guess I probably want the Nationals to win because they're the underdog, right? And plus it's the Yankees. I think, as Ken Griffey Sr. said, you're just supposed to hate the Yankees. That's the way it is, man. All right, guys, I am so excited for this one right now. This week's Baseball Guy of the Week, Danny Murtaugh. Legendary Pittsburgh Pirate, played for a little bit. Legendary manager, though. I mean, all in all, just legendary baseball guy, Danny Murtaugh. Okay, he led... The Pittsburgh Pirates to the 1961 World Series and the 1970 World Series. Now, you probably know the 61 World Series because that's the one where Bill Mazeroski hit the walk-off home run to win the World Series in a Game 7. Only time it's been done. Baseball's been playing for, what, we'll be like 160 years at this point if this season actually happens. And only walk-off home run in a Game 7. Joe Carter. Joe Carter hit a walk-off home run, but that was right in the 93 World Series. but That was a Game 6. It for sure wasn't a game seven. Could have been a game five, but I'm pretty sure it was a game six. You know, Danny Murtaugh, man. I'm talking through and through baseball guy, dude. Like when I look at a picture of Danny Murtaugh, like it makes me want to go to the store and just buy some chew, man. Like it makes me want to go buy some beach nut or some red man and just shove it in my lip and just kick someone's ass, right? Like Danny Murtaugh, his first minor league game ever. He came up through the St. Louis Cardinal system. And this is one of the things I love about old school baseball, dude. So he's playing on this minor league team, and there's a fan in the stands just chirping him, just talking shit to him the whole time, you know? I don't know what he was saying, but Danny Murtaugh was like 5'9 and 160 pounds. It wasn't that great of a hitter. So he probably had some few things to say to him. Either that or he was making fun of Danny's bushy eyebrows, man, which I always took as a sign of, of Just a strong dude man like if you got a large waistline or bushy eyebrows you're a working man like I've got bushy eyebrows right now and I've always told my wife I've got bushy eyebrows because I come from a long lineage of Irish hard workers and like Darwin's theory of evolution like we've evolved into having bushy eyebrows because we need him to keep the sweat out of our eyes. To which my wife replies, you don't work hard, you're a writer. And I'm like, sure, yeah, like, what? Well, I, I try to work hard, man. I can't really fix anything, but n- needless to say, like, I'll keep my bushy eyebrows, and I let them grow long to make people think that I'm, like, a hard worker. And I feel like it should it would be like that with Chew. Like, I'm like, man, I want to go get some Chew because Danny Murtaugh chews. I feel like I should Chew. But so in this first game he ever plays in the minor leagues, one of the first games he ever plays – this fan's, like, talking shit to him, and Danny's like, I challenge you to a fight after the game, because you could do that in the 1940s. If you wanted to get in a fight during or after the game, it didn't really matter. Like, when Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura got in their fight, and it was in, like, 91, after Nolan Ryan put Robin Ventura in a headlock and punched him repeatedly, uh, he played, he stayed in the game and finished. <laughs> he finished the game through, like, seven innings, right? Uh, didn't even get the boot, man. That's how it was back in the days. Like, you could do takeout slides. Literally just drop your elbow and just charge someone at second base to break up a double play. Like, no one batted an eye, dude. And so this was no different with Danny being like, I'm going to fight you after the game. If you're going to talk crap to me, I'm going to fight you after the game. Well, apparently, after the game, when Danny Murtaugh saw the guy, it was a little bit of a Happy Gilmore situation. You know the guy on Happy Gilmore with the nail in his head? And he, he like, wants to fight Shooter McGavin. And Shooter's like, oh, look at you. You can count. Dude, one of the best movie lines ever. And then the guy goes, oh, I can count. He goes, oh, what do he say? He goes, Shooter McGavin told the guy. He goes, oh, look at you. You can count. He stands up. And he looks at Shooter and goes, you can count on me meeting you in the parking lot. Best line ever, dude. I said that a million times when I was a kid. That and... Well, I can't think of any other lines besides, like, Friday. You know what I'm saying? Stimulate your mind. Like, whatever, dude. But the, uh, I mean, that's a good movie quote, dude. Um, Whatever I just said. Yeah. And uh, so, whatever. Danny Murtaugh gets beat up. You can count on me beating you in the bargain. That guy gets smoked, man. But it doesn't matter because that's how they played baseball in the 40s and 50s. You know what I mean? That's just generally, like, things were rougher in the 40s and 50s. Like, kids these days... They're, like, going to, like, travel baseball and this and that and the other. Danny Murtaugh worked in a shipyard and almost got his arm cut off, dude, before he even got to the pros, man. Like, they had an outhouse. Like, they literally, there was a hole in the the house that he grew up in. There was a hole in the kitchen floor that you just had to walk around because no one could afford to fix it, man. That was just the life they lived, dude. True story, Danny Murtaugh never knew his actual birthday. Nobody knew his birthday until... His funeral, because someone that was there was like, oh, I know when Danny was born, because that's the day I got married, and they just knew that, because they could associate the date, man, just old school guys, dude, and Danny Murtaugh, man, one of the things that makes him a through-and-through baseball guy is he literally coached until he died, man, so he... What happened? So they won the World Series. He leads the 61 Pirates to a World Series. And, like, shortly thereafter develops heart problems. The guy has, like, a heart attack or a stroke or whatever. But Danny Murtaugh is one of the guys that's like, well, I don't go to the doctor. You either get better or you die, right? So he, um, he's he got to retire from the team, man, because he's got, like, heart trouble. But he's, like, a tough dude, so he doesn't like to talk about it, right? So take takes some time off. Vacancy comes up again. And so he takes the job. Wins another World Series in 71 then has more heart problems, and then has to stop coaching. So it's like this guy, when he's not about to die from a heart attack, he's coaching the Pirates through World Series victories, takes some time off, comes back out of retirement, leads the Pirates to, like, division titles in 75 and 76. They don't win the World Series, so they don't make it past the Championship Series. He finally retires in 76, and, like, two months later, dies of a stroke, man. This is a guy that literally had heart problems his whole life, Because when you were born in 1917, just the amount of tobacco and alcohol you ingest, like, it's just pretty conducive to heart problems, right? And the guy just, like, coached until he died, man. And I think that just, like, embodies, like, a true baseball guy, man. Like, one of the things I love about baseball, and it's so different than any other sport, where, like, you know, basketball's a pretty sport, man. Football's like the gridiron, right? And I understand that. But there's something about like the feel of baseball that's got this grittiness that no other sport has, and I feel like Danny Murtaugh just embodies that right there. You know, you got a guy that coached, won a World Series, then had to stop because like he's having heart attacks, and then comes back, and then has more heart attacks, then comes back, and then dies. And it's just like, dude, like I dig it, man. And this guy, like in the middle of his playing career, like had to go to World War II barely survived an ambush because he apparently like found a hen house and was going in to get some eggs because he was hungry and then like the area just got bombarded dude with like heavy fire and he barely survived dude and that's just like it's just wild stuff right and i think it's so crazy that he even know when he was born because there well, weren't hospitals then right he was probably born i don't know in the outhouse man this is just a gritty dude And he was a funny guy as well, man. Like, he's known. He was known for being like a funny and witty manager. Like, I think he had a quote one time where he said, Sure, I would like to have a hitter that hit a home run every time and a pitcher that could strike everybody up. But the only problem is, I can't get the beer out of his hand to take him off the couch from watching this game because he was talking shit to the fans, right? And was just like, Yeah, I'd love a guy that could do it all. But the problem is, I can't get him off his couch. You know, it's just, I just, it's just a funny, funny dude, man, and really, like, I, I would say, like, a good manager as well, and I think it's sort of a bummer, man, because I think today, you know, some folks, I don't know, I guess, the intricacies of being a Major League Baseball manager right now, because some people say, like, you know, in New York that, like, with the Mets, that, like, managers were just, like, taking orders, you know who was the manager that the Mets had Mickey Callaway and there was like word that like made a lot of some managers nowadays just take their um take the direction from like upper management because they've got all the data you know, and things like that or whatever. And I sort of miss, like, the old days of just, like, your gritty, like, old-school managers. And I think there's still a place for it in the game. I I love that the Houston Astros hired Dusty Baker. I think, really, that's the best hire they could have ever had because this season, I would say the Astros are going to deal with a lot of shit. You know, they're going to get hit with some baseballs. And Dusty Baker's just an old-school dude. And I think, like, uh, that stuff sort of gets diminished, right? And I'm not, like... I got to be careful when I talk like this because I always bring up, you know, how I love stolen bases and bunts and, like, all this, like, grittiness and, like, old school managers and stuff like that, right? There's value in, you know, having a young, intelligent manager, you know, like Gabe Kapler, maybe, right? I don't know what that value is. He got fired from the only job he had after two years, and I don't think he'll ever win a World Series, whatever. But, like, there are... Young managers, like A.J. Hinch, dude, young manager, he doesn't chew, and he won a World Series with the Astros, you know, banging on trash cans or not, and like so did Alex Cora. Granted, that team was already put together, basically, when he brought him to the World Series, but, you know, I I can appreciate what's going on in baseball now. The only thing that sort of irks me with it is that it's so... Like, it's just tunnel vision with, like, we need young managers. We need guys that can follow the data, this, that, and the other. And I'm surprised that, like, more baseball teams that are looking for ways to win on the cheap, you know, aren't building teams that are fast with guys that can steal bases, you know, buying fast, you know, signing fast guys for cheap, you know, getting these gritty managers to sort of light a fire in the dugout because it's sometimes I think that maybe the intangibles – of just being, like, badass human beings sort of get forgotten and swept under the rug because of the data that we have, you know? One of the things that I always wish would come back at some point would be a player manager, right? I would love to see that. Like, David Ross, I'd have loved to have seen him be a player manager, like, right after 2016. Granted, Joe Madden had the job in Chicago, but, like, he could have went anywhere and been a player manager. And I like the idea of a player manager because... Right, you sort of get to like put your money where your mouth is, right? And if you're supposed to be this guy that's gonna lead this team and a lot of younger players look up to, I think now in major league baseball, there's so many young players than than ever before that are just really, really good and can help lead a team into the postseason, whether you look at guys like Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert, you know, Cody Bellinger. I see Christian Yellich. He's not even 30. So, like, he's a pretty young guy, too. Ronald Acuna Jr., like, the names go on and on. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. And if you had a guy that was like 36 and could run it, could manage a Major League Baseball team, but could actually, you know, write the checks it is and cash them. Whatever that saying goes, don't write checks so your ass can't cash. Like, just a guy that could go out there and, like, not only preach it, but go out there and do it. Like, I think that could be pretty inspirational. And you could look up to guys like that. I don't I don't think it'll ever happen. But I'd be totally on board with it. But I don't know. Let me see if I got anything else to say about Murtaugh, man. I don't want to uh, skip anything. Yes, actually, I do have one more thing about him. So, I don't know if I have the date. 1971 and that would have been the year that the Pirates won their second World Series under uh, Danny Murtaugh, and they beat the, 71, Baltimore Orioles. They beat the Baltimore Orioles. I think they lost the first two games of that series and had to come back to win the World Series, right? Well, in 1971, on September 1st, to be exact, the Pirates beat the Phillies 10-7, and Danny Murtaugh unknowingly made history that night of writing the first ever starting lineup in Major League Baseball history of all minority players. Doc Ellis, famous for his LSD no-hitter, started that game. And guys in the lineup included Rennie Stinnett, who was a damn good hitter, right? Rennie Stinnett. He was a good hitter. Now, I don't think he fulfilled his full potential, but over quarantine, I've watched some old Pirates games, and he's in them, and he's still a good guy, right? Uh, Gene Kleins, obviously Roberto Clemente, Willie Stargell, Pops, uh, Manny Sanguian, who was a catcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't know much about him, but he was a catcher. Dave Cash, Al Oliver, dude. Al Oliver was a legit showboat dude. He um he was a DH in '85 for the Toronto Blue Jays. His on the road one time, his hotel got robbed and they stole like all of his gold because Al Oliver wore so much gold. And he was an edgy dude, man, Al Oliver was. And then they had a guy named Jackie Hernandez in the lineup, too. And they asked Danny post-game, they were like, um, hey, do you know um, what you did? So they asked Murtaugh about it, and he didn't think anything of it, man, because he wasn't thinking in that way because he loved his team, right? And all he said after the game was, I knew we had nine Pirates. You know what I mean? Like, that was his team, man. That's the team he built. That's the team he led, and that was legit, And uh, just a pretty rad dude all around Danny Murtaugh. All right, we are going to close out this week's episode with the ever-hilarious Malik Smith Speedster for the Seattle Mariners came up in, I believe, the Atlanta Braves system. Fast, dude. Good guy. Hilarious guy. Uh, During the three-and-a-half-month pandemic when baseball was shut down, he stayed at his parents' house in Tallahassee, Florida, who wouldn't stay at your parents' house? Uh, Free food, right? Anytime I go to my parents' house, the first thing I do is raid the fridge, man. I don't know what it is, but parent leftovers are just way better than my leftovers. <laughs> like, dude, uh, raiding your parents' fridge is the greatest thing ever. And during the uh, three and a half month shutdown, he uh, obviously stayed with his parents. He trained at his parents' house, and he slept outside in a tent the whole damn time. He said he slept outside. He appreciated being outside in the tent. There were wood snakes in the whole night. He was just there to get in touch with nature, stay away from technology, because there was no Wi-Fi out there. And to stay away from as much radiation as possible. Okay, I don't know if Malik Smith is, like, a conspiracy theorist, dude. But, like, that's so legit. Like, stay away from radiation. He's read the same articles I've been reading over quarantine that say 5G will kill you. It will control your mind. It's what the sex traffickers use to traffic sex. And um, Donald Trump's the Antichrist. Like, all of that sort of thing, man. It's, yeah, it's it's deep with the 5G, man, the deep state, and wearing a mask. It's all intertwined, dude. Like, if you wear a mask, the deep state wants you to wear a mask, and then 5G is to make you docile so we can make you sheeple, okay? I Listen, I dig it, Alex Smith, man. And what's cool about this is, like, camping outside at your parents' house. Like, if that's not the greatest thing ever, I, I don't know what is. When I was a kid, dude, we would, um, we would camp, so we lived in town, And my parents, like we, we would go camping. And one time my parents bought like this big, like 12 person tent. And the first thing we did was set it up outside and we're like, we're going to stay in the tent. So I, so much when I was a kid, man, we would camp just outside and sleep in the yard. It was the greatest thing ever. It was even more fun because we would sneak out and vandalize the neighborhood. We would TP houses in the whole nine, man. Just go knock on people's doors and run. It's funny when you're a kid and that stuff seems funny but if someone knocked on my door at 2 a.m. and woke me up I'm coming out there with a baseball bat and someone's getting hit but in all reality all that would happen is I would get extremely out of breath and then some kid would literally throw eggs at me and it would not work out well at all but I dig the camping dude Alex Smith is a dude good guy man the radiation, he might be cooking on something. I I, lo- I love the idea that a pro athlete could be a conspiracy theory, dude. But conspiracy theories, now, man, they are off the chain. Did you watch that, tw- that video on Twitter with that broad in, uh, like, Florida – who was talking she was talking about like citizens arresting people she was saying that the mask was a conspiracy and it affected god's breathing system god and designed us to breathe a certain way and wearing a mask interfered with god's plan for us and we couldn't escape god and we were all going to hell and the deep state created 5g she's just going on and on about this stuff and it is it is one of the best videos and if you haven't seen it just Go to Google and Google Florida Lady Citizen's Arrest and you will get the absolute best video of your life. It's so good. But also, what's good about Malik Smith? He stole 46 bases last year. Malik Smith would sort of be like my prototypical uh, small ball guy, dude. Here, I'm going to bring up his baseball reference. He stole 46 bases last year. I have no idea what the guy bad. Oh, you want to know what? He stole 40... This is why I don't like war, man. He stole 46 bases last year, but had a negative 0.1 wins above replacement. Oh, but he only batted 227 though with a 300 on base. Holy shit! So he only had a 300 on base last year and still had 46 stolen bases. Holy crap! Malik Smith stole 46 bases last year and only got caught nine times. God, someone needs to teach this guy how to hit. Hell, when he was with Tampa Bay, he carried a 367 on base percentage with a 115 OPS plus. Had 10 triples. This is the type of guy I'm talking about. Man, if you could build this. Like, I love these speed guys. How much did he get paid last year? He a high-paid guy? Oh, he's making the league minimum. Last year, he made $500,000. I think he had arbitration this year, so he'll get a pro-rated 2.35 million. I like the idea, man. This guy reminds me of Marquise Grissom or something like that. Legit. I'll tell you what, though, man. One of the things I like, there was a, I don't know what it was, it was like Fox Sports today, um, listed off like nine players and wanted you to pick like the core you would go with. Hold on, I'm going to bring up my Twitter right now and I'm going to tell you this. But it had like, um, an outfielder, a pitcher, and I think an infielder, right? You would pick these three guys. Hold on. Okay. This was what it was. You had five outfielders, five infielders, and five pitchers to choose from. You would pick one player out of each category, and that would be your core players that you would start a franchise with right now. So you could pick three guys. So. For an outfielder, you can pick one of the following guys. Ronald Acuna Jr., Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, or Mookie Betts. You would pick one of those guys. And then you would pick your infielder, which you could choose. Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, Justin Turner, Nolan Arenado, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Your pitchers were Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Walker Buehler, Jack Flaherty. You could pick one player from each of the three categories I mentioned. Now, I said I would pick... Walker Bueller. I went young with my picks, man. Walker Bueller is a stud pitcher, dude. This guy, listen, if you want to get the young equivalent of Max Scherzer right now, Walker Bueller is that guy, dude. He is mentally like Robocop, dude. He's like T2 Judgment Day, just like a cyborg, dude. He is just, he's a tough, tough dude, and he's got nasty stuff. He's already had Tommy John, so assuming his arm stays healthy, he's going to be a really good pitcher for a long time, man. As far as the infielders are concerned, Fernando Tatis Jr., listen, this is only a 60-game season, so he could be MVP this season. I don't know that that'll be the case, but I would say within the next couple of years Fernando Tatis Jr. will win an MVP. This guy, Fernando Tatis Jr. is so damn good. Last season, so he was hurt, so he didn't play the whole season last year, so he got third in Rookie of the Year voting. If he would have played the whole season, I mean, he would have ran away with Rookie of the Year, but Pete Alonso's a damn good player, hit 53 home runs in his rookie season. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is oh, phenomenal shortstop, shortstop, shortstop. Fernando Tatis Jr., which is sick with the San Diego Padres because they got Machado at third base. So if you're playing the Padres and you hit a ball to the left side of the field, don't even run to first, man. Just trot your ass back to the dugout, dude, because, man, Machado's elite third baseman, dude. He's got a cannon for an arm. So this is what, in 80, um, shit, 84 games last year, Fernando Tatis, 22 homers, 53 ribbies, 16 steals, which is huge. That's on pace to steal about 30 bases, mind you. So, clearly, Fernando Tatis Jr. could be a 30-30 shortstop. 30 home runs, 30 steals. He struck out 110 times, which is a little high, but he's a rookie, so it's not that high. Um, Only walked 30 times, but that was enough to carry a three seventy nine on base, and you know how I feel. The closer that on base gets to four hundred you are elite at getting on base and 379 is a high on base he slugged 590 and batted 317 for the two of the best offensive players in baseball right now hell even defensively are your juniors Tatis Jr Acuña Jr listen this isn't going to be a full season right you get into 2021 if we get a full 2021 season you look at Fernando Tatis Jr and Ronald Acuña could easily flirt with 40-40 while playing elite defense. Hell, Acuna last year, what did he hit? 30, uh, like 39 home runs, and oh shit, no. Last year, Acuna hit 41 home runs and had 37 steals, which led the National League so close to a 40 home run season, and played 156 games. He can stay healthy. Sky, hits for average. He gets on base at a pretty good clip, and he can slug, dude. So when I was like, well, I'll pick my core players, I was like Tatis Jr. and Acuna Jr., hands down. I get that the players I named listed like Trout and Yelich and Arenado, right? Those guys are a little older, but Tatis Jr. and Acuna Jr., bro, these guys are— they. They have fun when they're playing the game, and I feel like that affects the rest of the dugout. So, like, I love Mike Trout, but if I'm like dugout impact, like I like the guys that are just hype and play loose, like the Javi Baez type, and Tatis and Acuna sort of fit that mold, man. And so, when I'm looking at players to watch this year, like we got to taste, you know, a little sample size, just like you go to Sam's Club. And walk around the store and steal the samples of food. I used to do that. It's so legit, man. You get lunch at Sam's Club. That's what we got last year with Tatis, man, like some samples. And guys, good, dude. And do I think that the Padres could find themselves in this 60 game season in the postseason? A hundred percent, dude. They got some pitchers, man. They, um, who, um, Shit, pitcher-wise, okay, hold on. i got to think about this because I'm on the spot. San Diego Padres, they've got a guy named Joey Lucchese, who's a wild, wild wild-looking left-hand pitcher, sort of looks like Clayton Kershaw when he pitches, just has this wild delivery. But last season, dude, he had a good season, only threw 163 innings, but carried an ERA. Well, his ERA was 4.18, but he's getting good, and he's getting better. Just either way, like Luke is a good pitcher. Never mind the 4.18 ERA I just said. He's really, really good. And then, but they've got like other guys too. They've got Chris Paddock. Chris Paddock is the stud that the Padres have, the stud pitcher. And he pitched, I think, a pretty good amount last year. Oh, shit. Yeah. 140 innings, 333 ERA. Chris Paddock can pitch. Dude, they've got, listen, a guy named Denilson Lamett. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but if you sound it out, it's Denelson Lamett, Dude, the guy throws heat. He pitched 73 innings last season, struck out 105 guys, dude. 12.9 strikeouts per nine inning, bro. That's in Garrett Cole range right there. Per nine, he strikes out more guys than what Scherzer does, dude. The guy's legit, man. So when I'm looking at this season, and if I had to pick two teams that could make the postseason this year— that sort of would maybe surprise you if you're not fans of that team would be the Padres and the White Sox. Dude, good pitching, good young offense. It could be really, really good. So, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm going to end the show right here. It's, I'm already at 55 minutes. I've talked way too much. Listen, if you listen to the podcast and you made it to this part, thanks. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I did my giveaway last week with – um giving away packs of baseball cards and stickers i will contact those people if you want to enter the contest still you probably have a few days basically what it is if you go to my instagram to the greatest show on dirt you've got like the stories at the top of the page and one's titled podcast and i want to say on like the third or fourth slide on that story Uh, if you tell me who your favorite baseball player is and why i'm picking like 25 people just a male um Some tops, wax packs out, and some greatest show on dirt stickers. So, if you want to get a chance to get some, go to uh, my Instagram page at greatest show on dirt. Go to the podcast stories and scroll over until I ask you who your favorite baseball player is. Answer the question, and if you're lucky, I'll mail you some stuff. Otherwise, thank you for listening to the podcast. I've made it two weeks now. This is two weeks in a row with a podcast, man. Hopefully. This works out, and I keep it up. But I'm sort of a slacker. No, not really, man. Thank. I love talking baseball, dude. So thanks for listening again. And until next time, greatest show on dirt is signing off. Happy baseball! If I don't talk to you till Thursday, we'll stock up on beer. We're gonna enjoy some baseball this week. We're gonna literally have baseball in like three days. And I'm Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yes. All right, guys. Take care, greatest show on dirt. We are signing off. Bye, right, guys. Later, Gators.